we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. What's up? Hey. 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 What's up? How's it going? We are uh, brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and we're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein on today's lovely show at 3.40. Dan Fitzgerald, the KU baseball skipper, head coach, manager, whatever term you want to use there for a baseball coach. He's going to join us at 4.40, so that'll be a lot of fun. They should be pretty good this year. I'm actually really excited to watch the uh, KU baseball season this year. We'll have our KU basketball heroes and villains segment, some Bill Self audio, some Andy Reid audio from, uh, I don't know, are those the two best? Coaches in their respective sports right now? Yes. He reads the best coach in the NFL. Bill Belichick doesn't have a job. Yeah, that's true. Bill Self, yeah. best coach in college basketball? Anyway. I don't know. Maybe John Harbaugh is the best coach in the NFL. Mm. Or not John, Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> he is the only current NFL coach with a national championship. True. And a Super Bowl appearance. Mm. Does that make him Pete the best? Pete Carroll doesn't have a job either. Yeah, that's right. So, I I mean, by one match. Does Pete Carroll technically still have a national championship? Then I thought they got vacated. No, the the Heisman got vacated, and also they lost in the title game that year. Oh, that's anyway. right. Yeah, he so he okay. has he has a couple national titles. Anyway, okay, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, let's start things off with a little fun with numbies. Fun with numbers. Fun with numbies. <laughs> you like numbies? <laughs> I like numbies. Yeah. Numbies. All right. KU basketball numbers here that uh, stick out or interesting. So I went back and looked. I was curious. What is the most losses? By a Kansas Bill Self team through ten games because you mentioned the other day that they they flashed the graphic. Yeah, four and three was the worst. The worst first through seven, seven games, right? Yeah. So I was curious, what is it through ten? Because right now they're I sitting think. at six and four. Uh, I I I forgot they actually have been six and four a couple other times. Twenty nineteen, they were six and four. 2018-2019 season, and the good news is that team finished six and two. Bad news is that wasn't good enough to win the Big Twelve. Nope. The other bad news is they lost in the second round. But they finished the regular season strong. The 2020 to 21 season, bad news is that they lost their next game, so they were 6 and 5. Yep. So that one would actually be the worst through 11 games. Good news is that they finished 6 and 2, or if you just go off of after they were 6 and 5, they finished 6 and 1. Bad news Didn't also did conference. not win the conference, and lost in the second round. And got blasted by Auburn. Then this year's team, or, or I'm sorry, then there was last, last year's, year's team. team. 2022 to 2023, they were six and four. Oh, yeah. How quickly we forget? Yeah, well they, they finished they lost seven and one. Yeah. yeah, they did. They they got it done in a hurry. They got their losses out of the way <laughs> in a real quick manner. <laughs> uh, they finished seven and one in Big Twelve play. Bad news. Well, I guess good news. They did win the conference. Bad news. Second round exit. But also no Bill Self in the NCAA tournament. You were playing uh, probably an underseeded talent wise yeah. Arkansas team. Yeah. Stupid must bus. The must bus drives off a cliff. So, okay, do with that what you will. Okay, what yeah. about teams that were close, though? Because that's not ex- exactly ideal. Yeah, I mean, as you as you just said, it's happened three times before, mm-hmm. and two of those three times are the only other two times you didn't win the conference. Right. <laughs> so, it's not great. 
and all of them were first weekend exits. <laughs> so, let's go to some other uh, seasons that were maybe close. Okay. Because there were three, or I'm sorry, there there were four that had three losses at this point. So, they were seven and three through ten games. Mm. So, 2004, 03-04, which was Bill Self's first season, they were sitting at seven and three. That team finished five and one. Now, that's a, a much shorter conference play, but that team ended up making it to the Elite Eight. 2012 to 2013, that team was seven and three. They finished seven and one. Then it ended up making it to the Sweet 16 and probably should have made it further. 2015-2016 team. That team was was seven and three, and they lost it, kind of similar to this one. They lost three straight road games, mm. including getting blasted by like a bad Oklahoma State team. And they finished eight and zero. In fact, they uh finished like ten and zero. Um if you look at like if you go back to I think they were five and three, in fact after losing three straight road gotcha. games, so they technically won ten in a row. But if we're just counting it as the uh, ten games, they they were eight and zero to finish, and that team ended up making the to the elite eight. And if not for Devontae Graham getting a dumb foul out, maybe they win that game. Um, either way, you lost to the national champion in very close fashion in a tight elite eight game. Like that was still a really good team in a good year. Yeah, uh, twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen, that team was uh, seven and three. They finished six and two. They won the Big Twelve. They made a Final Four. So it's interesting because there is a big drop off. The years where they have had the four losses, all first round exits. The year where even they had three losses, they've all made the second weekend. <laughs> and so I, I think it's interesting when you look at this, where you say, "Well, this one does have four losses, so it would it would be in that first group." But because of how difficult the Big Twelve is this year, do we grade it on a curve and say it is more like? Those other ones with three losses. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. And when you look at the the ones with four losses, so you look at the, like 2018 and 2019, we kind of touched on well, if Kansas goes three and six on the road, but they win at home, 12 and six and and Big 12 play, that might be enough to win the conference. Mm-hmm. But think about some of the things that happened to that 2018-19 team. Doak only plays in nine games, and then Legerald Vic gets, I guess, for lack of a better term, kicked Booted. off the team Sweet. or. Yeah. <laughs> or is removed from the team after the K-State loss, right? So that team went through uh, sort of some different in- either injuries or off-the-court stuff. They had a couple really bad losses, though. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. And that team didn't have – after they lost Legerald Vic and uh, Doak, that's freshman year dot with freshman year uh, Quentin Grimes, Grimes and Oach and uh, sophomore Mark Scarrett. So not a lot of really veteran experience or leadership on that team. That probably Those freshman year Big Dave, too. Yeah, that probably hurt them quite a bit. And the other thing that I wanted, that I was kind of interested in when looking at these years is I almost think it's, it's yes, it, I mean, KU 6-4, and 7-3, whatever, that, that's important. But I almost think with some of these years, it's more about, okay, Kansas was 6-4 and four or 7-3. and three, And on top of that, there, was other, there were other titans of the league that you had to keep pace with, right? In that 2018-19 season, Texas Tech was a great defensive team. They were probably really elite. They had Jarrett Culver. That was a, a good year for Kansas State with, like, Barry Brown was on was, was with them yeah. for that year. So th- th- and those are the two teams that ended up both going 14-4 and in the conference ahead of Kansas. Uh, and then you look at 2021, kind of – kind of I, I don't know. 2021, I kind of almost want to throw that out completely because Baylor wins the conference, but they didn't play 18 conference games. They had some weird COVID stuff. They, and they didn't, but I mean that that they they were really have. good. They were so no, yeah, they won the national. Title. <laughs> they were really no, good. <laughs> they won they won the national title. They probably would have won anyways. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just yeah, I don't know. And that was another weird year for for Kansas in that year. 
because they they had some bad losses. In fact, they lost four games by double digits mm-hmm. uh, of the, of their five losses uh, at one point in the in the season in conference play. And uh, you know, it was just kind of a I don't know up and down season. Or they they actually my my apologies. They what happened was they when they started six and five, they lose against West Virginia. They actually did bounce back, and they did. They won five straight with four being double digits, including like a th- almost a forty point win against Iowa State, which that was the Iowa State one zero and eighteen. So that sucks, Iowa State. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. And then you look at last year's team, the three game losing streak that they suffered uh, earlier in conference play. That was you know Jalen Wilson and nobody else, right? That was Jalen Wilson versus the world for a couple games there, and and he didn't get the help needed. Uh, so. I don't know, but then you look at this year, and, and again, I think if you want to look at last year compared to this year, to me, you look at last year, yeah, you had Texas who had a lot of talent, but they dealt with the out-the-court stuff with Chris Beard. There wasn't really any other team that you felt like was a real titan, was a real team that could that you could expect to go in and win game in and game out and not drop a game, right? The problem is you do have that team in the Big 12 this year in Houston. Right, that's the issue you run into. I think if you're Kansas, looking at it, looking at this 2024 duration, is that it's a situation where you started off with four with four losses in your first ten games of conference play, and in previous years, I guess in 2023 really is the only year where it's happened. They were able to win the conference still because of the fact that there wasn't. It didn't feel like any other team was really in a pole position to sort of overcome Kansas. This year, you have Houston. And it feels like Houston can be that team, right? So that's that's kind of the problem you run into, I think, with with this year. And, and you know, I mean, let, let's just be honest. Last year's team, it's not like the bench was very great on last year's team either, right? They relied pretty heavily on their starters last season too. Uh, I don't know. This season, it's probably, I guess, a little worse to this point. I don't know. The be- I mean, when you look at the bench from last year versus this year, this year is probably a little worse, I would think maybe that's a great question because last year so last year you have joe was not very good either if <laughs> joe and bobby yeah and uh and then mj rice and basically then, didn't play didn't play zach clemens <laughs> the litany of centers right pick your poison i mean you had more bodies yeah but the production still was about the same right and then obviously with this year you have timberlake and omarco and and parker and then jamari occasionally but I don't know. You, you take you taking this year's bench versus last year's bench. The bench of El Parker, El Parco, El Parco, El Parco Timber Dowell versus. You're not going to be able to come up with it. Joby, There's too many names. Versus Joby. Oh wait, no. Er, er Joby. <laughs> Zub, Zach Gooby. No, no, not working. I'm cutting it off here. <laughs> Jay Rice. Yeah, I, it is an interesting question. I will say this: like we've seen other teams during Kansas's dominance of the Big Twelve, who finished second or third in the league, who make runs in the NCAA tournament, and that's kind of what I've said all along. Like, okay, you look back at that Oklahoma team with Buddy Heald. I don't think people remember that team finished like third or fourth in the Big Twelve that year. They went like eleven and seven or twelve and six. They ended up making the Final Four. That team was built more for tournament settings than they were over the course of the regular season, right? But the, and this team doesn't shoot like that team did. So it's yeah, different, I was gonna say, but the, yeah, the problem you run into is, and where you maybe start to poke holes in that is, let's just be honest. Uh, are we sure that this team, this 2020-24 duration of Kansas, is built for the NCAA tournament? Are we sure about that? I go back and forth on it. The, the like, tired factor is the one that gets me. Yes. 
But if you can play your way into a two or three seed where ideally, I mean, even we, we see good 14 and 15 seeds, so it's not even a guarantee that if you can play yourself into having a good first round matchup that you can win by 20, 25 points where you get to rest your starters the final five, six minutes of the game, then it's no longer really a, an issue at that point. Yeah, and obviously with the NCAA tournament, like most years, it really does come down to matchups. Right. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think when you when you look at these numbers uh, in terms of the Big 12, it just kind of puts in perspective. I, I think in a lot of ways, like I said, in a lot of ways it's almost more dependent on what are the other teams doing versus, versus when Kansas has years like this. Uh, because if there is sort of another team or two that you feel like is a quality enough team that they're not going to drop games, then it's going to be tough to win, i.e. 2018-19. Uh, but then you look at last year, and again, last year it was a year where, yes, you had some teams with some talent, but it was a year where you felt like anybody could beat anybody. And while that is that still is true this year, Houston, it feels like, is is above that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we'll see, but they've they've, you know... They survived a road game against Texas in overtime, right? They, they've they've had a couple tough games where they've still been able to get a win. And you just wonder, based off their schedule, if they are going to, if you can... Because I remember I remember we, having, we had this conversation quite a bit last year of... We went through the schedule of some of the other Big 12 teams at the time, like Texas, and for, for example, and it was fairly easy to talk yourself into, well, yeah, Texas could drop that game. Oh, Texas, you know, Baylor could drop that game. K-State could drop that. You know, it, it wasn't hard to convince yourself that you could see these other teams dropping a few games. When you look at Houston's schedule going forward, like we have uh, you know, recently, it is it, it does become difficult for you to find the games that you think they could drop that would be enough for Kansas to get back in the race, basically. So from that standpoint, and then and then and and then setting that aside, look at the rest of Kansas' schedule. I mean, at this point, are you confident that Kansas can get through the rest of their schedule without losing at least two games? They do that twelve and six. If they lose a third, you're eleven and seven. Yeah, I'll be honest. If you guaranteed me right now six and two, I would just take it. That would get you to twelve and twelve and six. 12 and six. Yeah, which might not be enough to win the Big Twelve, no. but I would take it because I think six and two at least gives you a shot at it. And I think above all, it guarantees that you're going to get at low a three seed in the NCAA tournament, still possibly a two seed. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that that point, I would take that for sure. Would you? Yeah. I I mean, I think you almost have to. Yeah. Right. I mean, can you really sit there and roll the dice with road games against Texas Tech and Baylor and Houston, and you still have to play like a BYU at home? Which, like, I mean, is it that crazy to think that BYU comes in and shoots the lights out and maybe gets a win? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Right. So, I think you do almost have to take that. And, and again, to your point, if you do take that, then you have to go and look at Houston's schedule and find three more losses. Right, and if and if you're saying Kay's going to six and two, and one of those losses is going to be at Houston, is Houston going to lose three other games? It doesn't feel that way. No. Whereas doesn't. last year, it did feel like you could kind of count on a Texas, a Kansas State, a Baylor to drop a few games. Which guess what? They did. Yeah. <laughs> so it ended up working out. But I just, it's different this year. It doesn't feel that way this year. No, it doesn't. Okay, what does this number do for you? Kansas versus Ken Palm top twenty-five offenses. This is their current rating for what it's worth. So right now, they are top 25. Maybe not when you played them, but overall in the season. Kansas' first top 25 offenses on Ken Palm is 4-0. Kansas <laughs> against Ken Palm top 25 defenses, though, is 5-4. and four. Yeah, and that's a really puzzling stat. Not the offensive side, the defensive side, because, I mean, we, we've had the numbers with KU's offense since Furphy has entered into the lineup. And by the way, now what? Three of their KU's losses with, have been with Furphy in the lineup now, right? 
Yes. They lose against Iowa State, K-State. But oddly and... enough, on Bartorvik, they've been a top-five team in the country, exactly. even going 5-3 and three exactly. during that stretch. Exactly. So the you, the offense feels significantly better with Furphy, and yet when you're playing top defenses, you're still not getting wins. Oh, but by the way, you get you did get a win against the best defense <laughs> yeah. we've seen in the that's last 20 the, years. That's the other weird part of it, is that the best one you played, though, you <laughs> did get a win, and you won by 13. <laughs> yeah, so it's a bit... That is a bit puzzling, really, to try to dissect. But, but yeah, I mean, well, you know, we, we talked about even in the, in the preseason of, and we and even even now, right, like what is Kansas's calling card? They still don't really have one. I mean, they don't really have an elite defense. The offense isn't really elite. They're pretty good, and they have been really good with Furphy, but they don't really have that thing that they, that they can kind of lean on, I guess. And, you know, I've talked about in the past, being pretty good to elite at everything – can be very, very good. But it can also, if you're not quite good enough at everything, then you're going to leave yourself open to, to taking some losses, which mm-hmm. is kind of what happened to Kansas, which is kind of what's happened with Kansas so far this season. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, the whole thing is just weird to me. And, I mean, specifically if you look at Kansas versus top 30 turnover rate defenses, they're only 1-3 and three, versus when they play teams who are non-top 30 turnover rate defenses, they're 17-2. and two. It, that it, it's a small enough sample that I could easily just pick that apart and be like, well, they happen to be road games, and you know, like the Iowa State was one of them, and, and Kansas State, like games you could have won in, in the case of Iowa State where they just shot really well, you know. So, do I take away anything from that? Do I just take away it's a small sample? I do think though it is pertinent from a standpoint of when you're looking at March Madness time, when you're looking at the NCAA tournament, what matchups are you trying to avoid? I guess maybe you should be more concerned about elite defenses than elite offenses if you're basing it on this. Yeah, but I don't feel that way. Or maybe be more concerned about teams who have elite turnover rate defenses. Maybe that's the specific thing you worry about. But we've seen Kansas have games against elite turnover rate defenses where they've been good. But again, one in three against top 30 turnover rate defenses. The only one is Houston, (laughs) who is number one by a mile. Yeah. So it, it is... It'll be something. I'll be interested to look at this number at the end of the year. I guess. I don't know. With more I, games played, right? I, yeah. I mean, I'll just say like, I personally feel less confident if Kansas is going up against a top offense in the NCAA tournament than if they're going up against a top defense. It's interesting because I think you just have to. I think you just have to trust that. Like, I mean, look at the Houston game. You just have to trust that KU will show up locked in, and they're obviously a very, very elite passing team. They have great chemistry in in a lot of areas on offense mm-hmm. when they want to. And they can be very successful, I think, against any defense in the country. I mean, how can that not be your takeaway after the, what they did to Houston, right? You're not going to face a defense better than Houston all season long. Sure. And you showed up and did a fantastic job passing the ball, and it was it was it ended in a big win. Well, it'll be interesting this Saturday because guess what Baylor is? They're a top 25 offense. They're a top 5 offense. Guess what Baylor's not? Mm. Top 25 defense. They're like in the 70s on mm. defense. Wow. Maybe we'll uh, learn a little bit more about yeah, this. Okay, what's up? Saturday. Does Scott Drew not teach defense? What's his maybe deal? maybe Drum Tang was in charge of the defense. <laughs> Ever since he's left, they've just had bad defenses. I, I know. know what's going on with that. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I was looking at at Evan Miyakawa's like defensive BPR. Baylor doesn't have a single player inside the top fifty in the Big Twelve Conference, but they do have four players in the top ten on offense. So it's like. <laughs> so they're, they're basically what they were last year. They actually are better defensively than they were last year. I think offensively, you could argue they're slightly worse than the where they were a year ago. Even though the metrics are pretty in line, but they uh, they had like 
they had some non-con games that boosted their like okay. So they had uh games against Mississippi Valley State, who's ranked three hundred sixty second. I think they, isn't that one of the teams that doesn't have a win yet this season? They, they might not. Win? I mean, they're ranked three hundred sixty second. Is that last on Ken Palm? Either no, way, three sixty eighth last. Okay, they went nineteen of thirty from three in that game. Good for sixty three percent. I think Mississippi Valley State's on, uh, they haven't won a game. Okay, against uh, UMKC, who's ranked two hundred seventy fourth, they went thirteen of twenty three from three, which is good for fifty six point five percent. And uh, they've had a couple other non-con games like oh. that to where they're shooting over 40% from three on the year, but in Big 12 play, it's like 33%. Okay, I was wrong. 362 oh. is dead last. Okay. And and Mississippi Valley State is only 22. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you end up with a game like last year. Remember, Baylor just could not miss in the first half. Kansas has the crazy comeback in the second half when they started to miss, right? Yeah. We'll see. Could be. All right. Uh, we didn't even get to everything with fun with numbers. Maybe poor, we'll do a part hey, poor, two tomorrow. Poor Mississippi Valley State, man. Poor Owen, Mississippi Valley State. 0-22. That's right. That's brutal. They lost 107 to 48 that game. In 67 <laughs> possessions, they gave up 107 points. Uh, he's uh, Nick Springer. Man. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's uh, get to Henry Greenstein in about 15 minutes. We've got Dan Fitzgerald at 440. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World will hop on with us in about 10 minutes from right now. Loaded action in the Big 12 last night. Oddly enough, there's no Big 12 games tonight. What's up with that? Uh, I don't know. You want me to get Brad on the phone? I'm just saying, can't spread out the schedule a little more? Can't? I don't know. No, I agree. I'll get I'll get Brad on the phone. Yeah. And then I'll be like, Brad, what are we doing? No Big 12 games tonight. What am I supposed to do with my life? Well, some of the uh, interesting scores from around the league last night. Houston dominated Oklahoma State. Kelvin Sampson, though, got ejected. They were up like 25 points. Yeah. And he got ejected. Oddly enough, they actually only won by 16. So after he got ejected, they were worse. Yeah. Um, Didn't cover the spread, why by the way. Would you, you, said, a- you said yesterday you would it's have. It's Kelvin Sampson's fault. <laughs> it's Kelvin Sampson. They were covering the spread, and then he gets ejected, and then he gives up the free points, and then the team's like, hey, we don't have to try. Our coach isn't here. Blah, blah, blah. And then they don't cover the spread. Not yeah, cool. I don't know. Yeah, Not I mean, cool. Kelvin, and then he makes he some post game comments about the officiating, and I thought it was kind of funny. He said something like, "I don't care about twenty five thousand dollars fine, whatever." And you know what? I guess kind of kudos to to Kelvin Sampson a little bit because you can you can you know get on your soap ba- soapbox and complain about officiating and blah 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 whatever. It, I think it's pretty clear now that the Big Twelve at large, like the Big Twelve conference offices, they do not give a damn mm-hmm. about the officiating. Okay, and I guess if you are a coach. Or somebody like that. This is the way that maybe you draw some attention to it. You know, you you take the fine, but maybe it'll force the conference offices to look into trying to improve a little bit because it has been bad. And obviously, I mean, we don't we don't watch you know every single ACC game or Pac-12 game or Big Ten game or whatever. But in the Big Twelve, it seems pretty bad. But this is the dumbest thing to me because I see, I see like social media accounts of people who cover teams in other conferences or accounts that are like conference driven in, in the ACC or the SEC or the Big Ten or whatever. Every every single conference and every single person who covers one of the schools is like, oh, there's the Big Ten refs again. Oh, there's the <laughs> ACC refs again. If everybody is saying that about their conference refs, then it's not specific to your conference. Everybody sure. wants to act like it's, oh, the Big 12 refs are a mess. It's every conference. It's every conference, man. So you just got to kind of suck it up and deal with it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I did think I, I saw Kevin Flaherty, who he had on uh, the show the other day. He, I, this is I, I thought was very. He was like, I think it's interesting that Kelvin Sampson, the head coach of a Houston team that basically suplexes teams trying to get offensive rebounds, is the one to complain about the Big Twelve being too physical. Like, what are we doing here? 
You want it to be you want to be more you want there to be uh, a tighter whistle? Okay, good luck cuz all your players are going to foul out. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, think. you know, I think you and I are both on the same page of at the end of the day, just be consistent. Sure. Like if you're going to be bad, just be consistently bad and then it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Outside of that, uh, Baylor gave Texas Tech their third straight loss, so Tech yeah. bad again, or Tech middle again, middle yeah. of the conference, tech, no longer tech conference mid. Yep. contender. Tech mid now. Uh, uh, Baylor, Baylor, by back. the way, longest win streak at the conference at three games. Oh, I like that. I like that. If you're if you're so a team who's playing the team with the longest conference in the Big 12 where nobody can get long win streaks, that's yeah. probably a good thing for you. Exactly, yeah. So it's like they're that due just, for a loss. That kind of, that <laughs> kind of is a microcosm of explaining how yeah. the Big 12 has been tough this year, right? That right now we're sitting – Basically nine or ten games in for all, all every team in the conference, and the longest win streak right now is, is three. Games. And Baylor's been in streaks. They went three straight wins to start, three straight losses, three straight wins yeah. now. Yeah, but listen, they they tried to give that away late. Actually, they I don't did. know if they you were keep... watching late in that game. That's been every game for them. They're up fifteen with like three minutes left, and they just stopped playing. They literally just stopped playing. Yeah, and Texas they're... Tech. They they hit a couple threes. They actually they, they got it down to five at one point. They got it to it was seventy two to fifty seven with like three minutes left. They got it to seventy six seventy one. No, that that's just been them. The, the last like two minutes of games, they have been horrendous, and that's how they've lost some of their games because all three of their losses are very close losses. Iowa State won in Austin, which I, I mentioned yesterday was it a Tyrese Hunter revenge game. Turns out it, it was an Iowa, Iowa State revenge Iowa game. State revenge, yeah. He finished. Uh, it was like zero for eight, <laughs> zero points. Tough. So revenge gotten Tough for team. Iowa State. I'll be honest. I you, you mentioned that I, I talked about this over the weekend. If yeah. Iowa State would have won a Baylor, I would have feel like I would have felt like okay, they're winning the Big Twelve. I feel vindicated by that. If they would have got back to back wins on the road against Baylor and Texas, and we're sitting at seven and two right now without having to do a return trip to Kansas, dude. TJ Fra- really TJ Fratzelberger, really he's not winning anything. Sorry. Okay. I mean, your local AD pie frat guy, TJ Altsberger, he ain't, he ain't winning jack. I don't know. I think they got a really good team. I think they can get it done, and, and the schedule kind of lined up this year in uh, a very real way. Uh, the last one was Oklahoma smashing BYU in Norman. Yeah, it I guess goes back to BYU. They're either going to hit them or they're not. Yeah, and I guess for Oklahoma, speaking of back, Oklahoma kind of back maybe. I mean, KU still has to go to Norman, right? And suddenly, Next week. are you feeling less confident in that one? I don't know. We'll see. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com joins us next on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Kind of a confusing last two games for KU basketball. They beat one of the top teams in the country by 13 points in Houston, and then they lose to a Kansas State team who uh, I guess currently, I guess depending where you look, is not projected to be an NCAA tournament team. Henry, how on earth do you make sense of the up-and-down nature of what has been this KU basketball season and, and this past week? It is really, really baffling. And even as I was watching the game on Monday, I was like, I'm going to remember this as one of the ugliest games of, of college basketball that I've covered in recent memory. And I watched a lot of Big West Conference basketball my last <laughs> job, so that's really saying something. Um, but no, I mean, I, 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 I can't make heads or tails of it. I, I think there are 
a few commonalities. I think if we have to pick any other game in a season that this K-State game was most like, it was UCF in that KU had a lead and then was totally out of sync and some guys on the other team made great offensive plays down the stretch after their offense had been putrid in the early going. But, you know, I mean, it, it just doesn't jive at all with what we saw uh, here in Warren not all that long ago. I, I think the crowd at, at Bramlage had something to do with that, but you can't really ascribe it all to that. Certainly, I mean, it was just a game where things that KU has made look routine all year were just incredibly labored. I mean, you think about how awful they were at times in the game, and that but even if Kevin McCuller makes a couple more free throws, you might win anyway. So just, just like one thing that could just shape the outcome or, you know, passes that people overthrew. And granted, KU was overthrown plenty of passes this season, but passes that they normally wouldn't that they overthrew like flat-footed defense at times, just things you really don't expect to see. And it all kind of coincided at once. But again, they still almost won, so who knows. Well, what what is your estimation of why specifically it's been the way that it has on the road for KU? Now 1-4 and four on the road in Big 12 uh, play. I think over their six true road games, when you include the Indiana game, they're 1-5 against the spread. So certainly uh, compared to expectations, things have – I guess not gone too well for KU on the road. Why do you see them playing this poorly on the road, and is it something that you think is just going to be this way the rest of the year? Well, I I do think that it may well be this way for the rest of the year. I think certainly the bench plays a role. I think that it probably is exhausting playing on the road from a mental standpoint to compound the physical exhaustion that people are already going through. You know, Dewan Harris isn't the guy who should be playing 43 minutes in a game, but that's what this team needs him to do. And he kind of shrugged it off like it was nothing. But I think that having the bench is particularly valuable in road games. And the bench was not at all valuable uh, in terms of their performance in Manhattan. I mean, there's a case to be made. Nick Timberlake was the best player off the bench, and I don't really think he did anything particularly memorable. It was more that he just didn't do anything especially bad. Um, so, yeah, just – that's one area in which I think a deficiency has hurt them on the road, and that can certainly apply to some of the other games as well. You know, like I feel like in that UCF game, Hunter had some foul trouble, and he was hampered a bit by injury, but didn't get much from Parker in that one. And right now, of course, you know, Kevin's still dealing with an injury. On Monday, we were two days removed from a game where it wasn't even clear at first if he was going to play, and he's going full go. I think he played 44 minutes, and looks pretty tired at times and missed those free throws at the end that I mentioned. So that's one thing that I think has been hurting them on the road. Um, I think the other thing is just, you know, you don't get the boost from the Allen Fieldhouse crowd, which is more valuable than most other crowds in the sports of college basketball, you'd have to think. When you look at the three-point shooting for Kansas, against Houston, they only attempted 13 threes but made six of them. And against Kansas State, they attempt 15 and only make three. It feels like the, the, the margin for success versus failure from the three-point line for Kansas is, is razor thin right now because of their maybe lack of volume. Uh, I guess kind of what do you make of that approach from KU, and, and do you think that's something that they can overcome if they do have a game like this Kansas State game where they, they don't make any threes, basically? Yeah, the thing is they get so many good two-point looks. I mean, their ball movement has generally, generally been, been very good. Um, they get Hunter most of what he wants inside. You know, KJ gets a lot of nice floaters and, and powers his way in. 
they usually aren't taking threes, and not only because they don't have a lot of people who are dedicated to point shooters, but also because they have what they feel are pretty content with on the inside. And that wasn't always the case in this K-State game. I mean, you know, Hunter was taking more contested things than usual. But I, I think it also just hurt them that it happened to coincide with a, a rare off game from Johnny Furphy. And as Bill Self said postgame, he was kind of due for one of these. And K-State uh, blanketed him more than any other team has. They, they stayed attached to him even when it might have been advisable for them to do otherwise. Um, and, you know, when you're depending on a freshman who got here in August as your primary source of outside shooting, you're bound to have some games where he regresses to the mean a little bit. Now I think that the mean for Furphy can still be very high. Like, there have been games where he hasn't been extraordinary in the starting lineup, but has still gotten, like, 11 points. Um, I think that as long as he can continue to be a functional scoring option around that level. For my, I mean, this is what I was saying, I think, last week when I was on here. I don't think people thought when Johnny Furphy came in starting lineup, he was going to give them 23 and 11. Uh, like, I, I think they really only need him to be uh, vaguely consistent and kind of on the fringe of double figures and at least provide enough to have a team keep spacing out their defense. And even if other players aren't shooting at a super high rate, that spacing does a lot for them on the inside. So I don't know. I don't. I, I know the three-point shooting wasn't that great in Manhattan, but I don't think it was like the foremost issue for them. Yeah, and uh, I guess now going ahead to this Baylor game on Saturday, it becomes more of kind of a must-win um, to to bounce back from this, and uh, obviously got to hold uh, hold serve and and hold court at home and everything. Uh, when you look at this game upcoming on Saturday, uh, what sticks out to you about the matchup between the Bears and the Jayhawks? Well, it'll be a bit of a reversal from Houston in some sense. Uh, for one thing, I mean, KU will be favored, but also in the sense that Baylor is a really potent offensive team that is more middle of the pack on defense as opposed to Houston, which is an outstanding defensive team that is pretty good, uh, probably above middle of the pack on offense, honestly, although KU didn't make them necessarily look that way. But, yeah, this is going to be a huge test. Um, of perimeter defense. Baylor has like four different guards who can all score the ball super well. I think as a team, they shoot 49 or 50%. Um, Ray J. Dennis shoots 50% from a guard spot. They have a lot of really potent outside shooters. And of course, if you have more than two people you need to defend on the outside, that means like Johnny Furphy is going to be under some pressure and he didn't necessarily hold up too well in that department uh, on Monday, although we have seen some overall improvement from him. So that's something I'll be keeping an eye on, just how much Baylor can space the floor and get looks from the outside. Um, and then for KU, I think this will be a big game on the offensive glass. I can see this being a big K.J. Adams game. Baylor is the worst defending, defensive rebounding team in the Big 12, um, so it's going to be all about second-chance points for KU. I mean, certainly if they had gotten more of those against K-State, they might have been in a different kind of conversation. I definitely think that They'll need to crash the boards. Uh, so, yeah, K.J. Adams, Johnny Furphy will have to do a better job boxing out on their teammates' shots and taking care of players like Missy and some of the size Baylor has inside to uh, generate those additional opportunities for their teammates. Yeah, speaking of that three-point defense that you mentioned, that's obviously been kind of a, a bit of point of contention for, from KU, especially on the fans, with the fan base of KU's perimeter defense. When they are facing a team like Baylor, that can shoot the ball well, and they might see a team you know, similar to this maybe when they get to the NCAA tournament. 
Well, what do you think is going to be the biggest key for them to maybe trying to limit that that perimeter defense, limit that perimeter explosiveness from Baylor, not letting them just rain threes? Yeah, I, I mean, it's tough to say. Like I said, I I think Furphy may have to play uh, a little closer on the perimeter and run the risk of getting blown by for a drive and have some confidence in the case to help defense behind him. Um, in this situation, I think that it'll be important for over the next couple of days the KU coaching staff to have players well-rested enough that they'll be as crisp as possible at the defensive end. I know Bill Self planned to give players both yesterday and today off. We'll, we'll chat with him at the press conference and see kind of how that turned out because I think that some of the defensive intensity um, and keeping up with players like Tyler Perry may have been lacking just because of the Saturday-Monday turnaround in the last game. So I think having players at full stamina will also be really important towards having better perimeter defense. Yeah, that Saturday and Monday turnaround that yeah, you mentioned there at the end, it's interesting because that's going to be you know, what the situation will be for Kansas once they get to the NCAA tournament, right? They're going to have to be playing first and second weekend if they make it the second weekend you know, back-to-back like that. And to see, to your point, Kansas maybe looks a little bit more winded than you would like to see against Kansas State. Does that concern you at all for the Jayhawks when they, when they do get to the NCAA tournament about the, those second games of the weekends where they, they might uh, possibly look a little more tired? Yeah, it does, honestly. I mean, we've been talking about KU as a team, and this is what Derek and I talked about last week, a team that might be better suited for a tournament setting because they don't have to rely as much on their, on their bench. And while that may be true, that still means they will have people out there for like 80 minutes in a three-day span, and that's a lot to play against tournament-caliber competition. So, yeah, it does concern me a little bit. I had been impressed with the way they – acquitted themselves in that Cincinnati game after losing to West Virginia, but this was not really the same kind of showing, and maybe that just has to do with being at home versus on the road. But, yeah, we're going to see another really tough example of it this week when they have to go to Texas Tech right after this Baylor game. And, of course, that's an even quicker turnaround by a two-hour margin than what they had to deal with this past weekend. What do you think is more likely, that they go 2-0 and next week in those two road games or go 0-2? Uh, in which game, sorry? Oh, oh, in the two road games next week. Yeah, I think 2-0. and I, I think 2-0 and is significantly more likely. I think Texas Tech, while a good team, kind of polished its resume early by beating some teams that weren't as good. Um, and and I, I think K, I would give them a fairly – it would be tough for them to beat KU, even though they do have a great home crowd of their own down at United Supermarkets Arena. And in Oklahoma, I think, is another game that's kind of – I mean, it's, it's appeared easier for KU in recent days than it might have. You know, they just lost to UCF as well. Um, I, these are the easier road games, if you can believe it, of KU's remaining schedule because they still have to go to Baylor and to Houston after this. So I would give KU a higher chance of going 2-0 in these. If they're going to win any road games, it has to be these ones, I feel. Well, uh, I, here's an interesting one. Not necessarily the best, but if you had to rank the three most important players for KU basketball down the stretch in their final eight Big 12 games, who would you go with? Most important. Okay, see, that's interesting. I mean, I may have to fall back on some of the same things I've been saying all season. Uh, I think number one probably has to be Kevin McCuller. We've seen this in these last two games, just how what the difference between a good and a slightly below average Kevin McCuller showing can mean for a team. Number two, probably Hunter Dickinson, just because of how consistently dominant he is, but also when he's not getting good looks inside, 
and makes the, the offense look pretty bad, especially when they have to play against zone. I've noticed when they can't get the ball inside, they look really, really awkward against zone. Um, and then third, I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to say like a Marco Jackson or something, but I think I probably have to pick another member of the starting lineup. So I guess I'll just go with, uh, I don't know. I'll say Johnny Surfy just because of the ability to space the four, which in turn makes things easier for those other two guys I mentioned. There's a case to be made for pretty much anyone in the starting lineup. I mean, certainly KJ is the unsung hero. Um, and Dewan, much like with Kevin, we've seen what a good versus bad Dewan performance, what that difference can make. Although I think it's time for the stat about his double-digit scoring to be retired. Uh, we've... We, we've seen the difference that can make. So there's a case you made for anyone, but yeah, I'll stick with the order I said. One thing I'm I'm interested by is in the post game, uh, and this doesn't just apply for the Kansas State game, but I think it applies for a couple other of these road losses. It feels like Bill Self has been pretty calm about the losses in terms of like understanding. Hey, it's it's tough to win on the road. This conference is really hard, and it seems like those comments have been echoed in a lot of ways. Do you view that as I, – I mean, there's a couple ways you can view it. You can view it as um, he doesn't view this team to be that dominant, so he understands there's going to be losses. You could view it as he just really believes the conference is that good, and so, again, there's just going to be losses. Uh, he could view it – I don't know, maybe it's a message he's trying to send to the team that, like, everything's going to be okay. How, how do you kind of take his approach? Should, should that make Kansas fans feel more confident – that he has been kind of calm through all the losses and there hasn't been that, I guess, I don't know, moment where it's like, yeah, this is ridiculous, we're, we're horrible, like we need to fix this, this, and this. Yeah, I, I, I guess you could say it can make them more confident. I, I mean, I agree. I think his demeanor after the K-State game was a little different from what I had expected. You know, I mean, I, I asked him afterward about the, like, the offensive execution, some of the issues they had. On, on that end, and he basically said, well, you know, we were still up, too. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, we, we had a bunch of turnovers, but if we maybe get four points out of those three screw-ups, then you're probably not asking that question. And it's like, yeah, but you also said going into halftime that you were lucky to be up, too. So, I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting approach on his part. He's, he's projecting uh, a level of confidence, and certainly he's, he's earned the right to do that with his success over the years. Um, I think it's certainly fair to say they haven't had one game where you would say, like, this is absolutely horrific. Like, I can't believe they were this terrible. I mean, the closest one would be UCF in the second half. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I think that it's an interesting approach. It certainly is not in line with what I've heard about some other Bill Self kind of motivating tactics in previous years, but – Clearly, it's what he decided works for this team. If his team even pays attention to what he says in post-game press conference, by the way, which I'm not really sure they do. But even in terms of what we're hearing from his players, that he's telling them in the locker room and stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's, he's obviously earned the benefit of the doubt in some ways. And uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, like next time they lose, because it'll be a little later in the calendar, if it's the same kind of approach. Yeah, I guess that's kind of interesting. I, I doubt they listen to the press conference. Then again, they are uh, like players do look at social media, so they probably see some of the quotes up there. Uh, outside of, of KU men's basketball right now, what to you is, is maybe the biggest storyline or thing that's happening around KU athletics? I mean, 
Personally, I'm pretty excited. I, I know this isn't at the forefront of everyone's mind, but I'm excited for the Diamond Sports to get started. I, I love covering those whenever the opportunity presents itself. I think we're going to cover them more diligently than, than, I don't know, than maybe in, in previous years or other outlets. And I, um, I, you know, softball starts this Friday, baseball next Friday. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with both teams that they both have a chance of maybe making it to a tournament in some way, uh, which would be pretty surprising and, and a great step forward for those programs. So that's one thing I'm keeping an eye on. And then just, of course, uh, we're not all that far away from spring football. And with that will come a whole new level of Jalen Daniels discourse and transfer <laughs> discourse and all sorts of lovely things. So, you know, I think they started on February 28th last year. I think I heard someone say it might be a little later this year, but uh, that's not all that far away. And then, of course, KU women's basketball trying to fight for a tournament berth is a storyline that I haven't heard too much about thus far, but I was looking at bracketology earlier, and they're like the seventh team out right now, so they kind of got their work cut out for them down the stretch. All right. Well, uh, you can check out all of that stuff, including the coverage of KU men's basketball in the Lawrence Journal world and the KUsports.com. Is, is there anything else you want to plug, Henry? No, not really. Just... Like I said, keep an eye out for, for everything coming up. I got a little baseball preview up today if anyone's interested. And uh, Derek, it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you over these many weeks, and I uh, wish you all the best. Well, I appreciate that, and Henry, it's been uh, fun getting to know you and, and talking with you, and, and I appreciate you uh, sharing your time with us uh, throughout the weeks. Of course. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Thank you to Henry for coming on the show. We're going to take a break in the action. We've got our mailbag where you ask us the questions. Dan Fitzgerald of KU Baseball will join us at 440. KU Basketball Heroes and Villains at the 505 segment. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and it is time for our weekly mailbag. This will be the final Woo! mailbag that I'm ever part of. Dude, that's, that. so, that's so sad. I know. It is sad. It's brutal. Uh, Dan Fitzgerald's going to join us later this hour. Talk KU baseball at 440. We got some Andy Reid audio, and then coming up in the five o'clock hour, KU heroes and villains segment. Let's get into our mailbag, though. Thank you to everybody who submitted questions. You can submit questions for next week for Nick at RCST1320 or email RCST1320AM at gmail.com. Yep. Or, I mean, just hit me up on my regular Twitter. There you go. Springer 29 I mean, there. Boom. Anyways, do it. Our first question is from Terry. All-time starting five for making one defensive stop for KU Hoops in the Bill Self era. Mm, okay, I think there's, there's two obvious thoughts that come to my head immediately. Marcus Garrett, Jeff Withy. Right. Those both got to be on there, right? Well, I don't know. Are, 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 hang on. Jeff Withy or Doke? Because <laughs> you can't. That's the problem. You could make the argument that the, the three best individual defenders of the Bill Self era are, are all, all centers. centers right? Cole Aldridge, Cole, Udoka, yeah, Azubuke, yeah, yeah. and Jeff Withy. So, yeah, I, would, yeah, I, guess, I would probably I didn't, I didn't put Marcus Garrett ahead of one of those, if not two. But uh, yeah, I don't want to disrespect Cole there. But yeah, yeah, no. But that's but if you're making a starting five, you're not going to use two of those guys. Probably not. No, if you're playing a team who has <laughs> any semblance of like perimeter play, you're going to get beat over. So you have to pick your one. <laughs> well, center. this goes back to our debate about if you have five dokes, would you be able to stop anybody? Right. You just play a zone. 
Just, just have five dokes no, around I, the I rim. Think, hypothetically, you can't play zone. Because if this is your, you're building a Bill Self defense to make one stop, Bill Self ain't want to play zone in that situation. Sure. You can't yeah. you can't play zone. So, okay, we both agree. Marcus Garrett's on it, obviously. Marcus Garrett is 100% on it. Marcus I don't know. Garrett. It's tough. Because I, I think Jeff Withy on his own, it, it's almost like, what are you going up against? Jeff Withy on his own, most impactful, probably the... I guess that's a good way to put it. Most impactful defender of the Bill Self era. But in today's day and age where three-point shooting is so pivotal, I think Doak actually has more... Like, there were there were some possessions that last year he played where he was able to, like, he was stick moving. with guys. Yeah, yeah he, he was. was. I mean, that, and that contest, boy was... like, mid-range jump shots That with boy guards. was smoothing. So I actually am going to go Doak here. Okay. In the new age way of college basketball. If you're telling me that it's a team who likes to pound the ball inside a little bit more, drives more, I would take with you. But I'm going to go Doak at the five. It, it sounds so sacrilegious, man, though, to not have what Jeff with you on the starting <laughs> five. Uh, whatever. I don't care. Last mailbag. What are you going to do? Sue me? Uh, okay. Maybe. We're going to go Garrett. Okay, We're going to go Doak. Who else? Okay, see, the thing, uh, one of the – Mario Chalmers is maybe the most opportunistic defender of the KU era. So yeah. good at getting steals. Not a great thinking, individual defender. Well, Bill thinking, Self has even kind those, of poked fun at him. Yeah, I was thinking along the same lines, like, you know – to your point, Chalmers, even like a Devon Dotson, right. right, was very optimistic, but maybe not the best. At, but you know. if you have the insulation around him, like Marcus Garrett and Yudok Azubuki, don't you want an opportunistic guy? Maybe. Then again, you're just going for one stop. Yeah, you just get you're trying to get one. But stop. But if you get a steal, that does the one stop. Ends yes. it right there. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff Hawkins is somebody that Bill Self has mentioned is like the best on-ball defender guard that he's ever had. So I, I think probably throw him in the discussion. I don't know if I'd Okay. Dewan, when he's right, certainly can disrupt, disrupt stuff. I was wondering if you were going to say Dewan, yeah. I kind of wanted to put Kevin McCuller. I mean, having Kevin and Marcus Garrett as switchable wings, that, that makes you so versatile. Now, yeah, right? well, I was trying to think, what uh, I mean, are there other defenders at the wing Brandon position? Rush. I, I was thinking Brandon Rush. Would be too. a really good one. Brandon Rush came to my mind. I mean, uh, Russell Robinson would be a good one at the guard spot. Uh, again, if you want to look for somebody there. What do you what do you do with the four? I think that's where you just go into the the wings. Like if you have Kevin and Marcus okay. Garrett. So you're just saying, you know, Doak and then a yeah. bunch of wings. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm totally comfortable if Kevin or Marcus Garrett gets matched up on their four. Especially knowing that you have Doak on the inside. If sure. if it's like a big man. Sure. So I, I think that would be up there. So Kevin, so Marcus Garrett. Kevin, Marcus Garrett, Doak. Doak. You want to throw Rush in there too? As your other I kind of want to throw guy? Rush in there, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm cool throwing Rush in there. And then that and way then you have like your, three big wings as your yep. defender. And Rush can still defend twos. So that gives you the opportunity there. And then you want more of like a point guard defender, I think. Um, so now you're back to, you know, Russell Robinson, Mario Robinson, Chalmers, Dewan, Chalmers. Dewan. It just depends what you kind of want. If you want somebody who's your best chance to get a steal, it would be Chalmers. If you want your just best, I guess, pure on-ball defender, I would, I would say probably either Russ Rob or... Um, Jeff Hawkins at that point. Uh, other guys who could, uh, another guy who could get a steal. Devon Dotson, like you mentioned, also a good opportunistic defender. I think I would go with Chalmers just because when you have that solidness of Garrett, McCuller, um, Doak, and who did we say for Brandon the other? Brandon Rush. Rush, I'm comfortable having somebody who can go for the steal and just end the possession right away before yeah. you have to defend for all 30 seconds. So that, that would be what I would do for one stop. Yeah, I mean, I and think again, I feel stupid not picking up with you, <laughs> but you just. I think, yeah, I think to your point, the hardest part of this is is picking the five because right. you have a couple good options there. Well, think about it. You could, if if that's the first five we did, you could still your second team would still be what Jeff Withy. Yeah. Um, let's go with. Uh, let's go with Dewan Harris and Russ Rob, at the one and two. You can play with two small guards. Um, we'll go with. 
mean, you could even throw like a Travis Relaford in there, maybe. Brady Morningstar was a really good defender. Yeah. Um, the wings, I'm trying to think. Like, <sighs> Andrew Wiggins, was he good enough? Nah, Probably not. Maybe not off the ball. Just as young freshman and stuff. Gosh, we didn't even mention Joel Embiid. Like, he was a good defender, but you can't when you're comparing it to, yeah, I mean, had, yeah. to what, you know, Doak and Aldridge and, and Withy did on the defensive end. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's a fun question, but yeah, that, that would be my five there. Okay, hmm. this one for do you do you would you change anybody out or? No, I agree with that. Okay. I mean, I think I think to your point, you know, Marcus Garrett plus Doak and or Withy Aldridge. It's funny find any of those. Garrett is without a doubt the biggest lock on the team, though, right? Hundred percent. Because they, it's it's just because with the center, there there are really good options you can go yeah. with and you can pick and choose. It, it's there's no argument for leaving Marcus Garrett off the team. Nope, not a single one. Nope. Uh, this one from uh, Ryan. If this team had Jalen Coleman lands off the bench. Would they be the best team in America? <laughs> I love this question uh, because it's a player who average. I, I don't even know. What What would be your guess on what Jalen Coleman lands finished his Kansas season averaging in terms of points per game? Like four, three point seven. You're right on the money. Yeah, yeah. So he was forty point two minutes per game. Forty five percent from three. <laughs> Work. That's pretty good. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, best team in the country. Hard to say. I do think, though, it, okay, I mean, if, you, if you view it as, if you had a player at 3.7 points per game, are they really changing it that much? No. But here's the thing. Jalen coleman lands on that team had a smaller role than he would have on this team, right? Yeah, yeah. And when you look at when he had to have a bigger role that season. Well, the thing is, is like, if you're going to bring Jalen Coleman's on, you're basically saying, like, if Nick Timberlake was shooting 40% from three right now, sure, this wouldn't be a conversation, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Basically, you wouldn't, add, you wouldn't be adding Jalen Coleman Lance. It's it's you have a shooter, he's just not he's shooting. Just not Jalen good. Coleman Lance, you had a shooter and he shot. <laughs> but the, but uh, this is like like against George Mason when I, I forget who was out. Somebody was like sick or hurt or something. Jalen Coleman Lance played 25 minutes. He had 20 points against George Mason. There was another game he had like eight points against Baylor, nine points against Kansas State. Uh, he had seven against West Virginia in the Big 12 quarterfinals. He had. Uh, five points in that Creighton game uh, where he hit a three, where obviously that's impactful in a close game like that. The thing is with, if Jalen coleman lands is on this team, I know he only played like eight and a half minutes per game on the championship team. He's by far KU's best bench player. Well, most reliable, I think, right? I mean, you could make an argument that Jalen coleman lands would have started at the beginning of this year before Furphy got going. I think... Maybe that could be true. And so, how many minutes is he playing off the bench? 20 minutes a game? Is he getting He's getting all of Nick Timberlake's minutes? Yes. Yeah, because like we just said, if Nick Timberlake was better, he's playing like 10 or be 11. a conversation. Bob so he's probably into, getting uh, Marco's in a, minutes a little bit. A little bit, yeah. You're probably also eating into Kevin and Furphy's minutes just from a standpoint of, hey, we actually can rest these guys a little bit more now. So instead of them playing 32, 36 minutes a night, you know, maybe Furphy's playing 30, maybe Kevin's playing 32 so that they're more rested when they're out there. And he's and Jalen Coleman lands getting you 20 minutes a night. Um, the bench would be significantly better. They would have yeah. even more three-point pop. That would open things up even more on the inside. Jalen Coleman lands wasn't a great defender. That was going to be my question. Yeah. You, you run into the defending problem. But, but I mean, he's probably a better Timberland, defender right? than Timberlake. Yeah, I exactly. I, I would agree with that. So... Here's where we run into the issue with so this you're question. Just, you're just asking for a better Nick Timberlake. Sure. 
Here's where we're running the industry with this question. Are they a better team? Yes. Are they a significantly better team? Yes, because I think literally just one guy you could trust off the bench would be enough to significantly change things. Are they the best team in the country? Are you are, are is one bench guy who's playing 20 minutes a game is that enough for you to change from them being well, I mean, top 10 team to if, the number 1 team? If you know. believe that their current starting 5 is I guess that's fair. top 2, top 3 in the country. And then you add in a reliable sixth guy, maybe. 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 Yeah, I'll say this. Like, if you look at it from a standpoint of, like, who would, how would this affect the schedule for KU, maybe? It would be a good way of putting it, right? They have five losses. Okay. Maybe they win the UCF game with Jalen Coleman Lance. Maybe that one extra guy who they can sure. throw out against a zone who can hit shots. They probably win the West Virginia game. Yeah, maybe that gets you over the hump, right? Just that little bit of extra value gets you over the West Virginia. Maybe it gets them over the Kansas State game, right? It's tied at the end of regulation. So you could yeah. have, maybe you don't win all of those, but maybe you win one or two of them, right? Which, at that point, I mean, we're talking about this being a top five team for sure. Exactly. And, ranked fourth and again, right now. you win one, you win one or two of those games. Big Twelve title is well within your sights. I will say this: I would feel a lot better about their chances to win a national title. Well, what if Nick Timberlake starts shooting forty? He could. And that's basically the crux of this question. Yeah. What you got, Jalen? I, I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, with Nick Timberlake, it's <laughs> you're kind of to the point now where it's like, well. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I'm very good at shooting sure. threes. I don't know why. Yeah. All right, this one from Sam. Could George Karloftis be the Super Bowl MVP for the Chiefs? If not, who else is a dark horse candidate for Super Bowl MVP? Mm. Shout, out, shout out to Sam for the question. Uh, I think it's possible. I mean, listen, there's some different strategies I've, I've heard people discuss when it comes to uh, the, the Chiefs going up against the Niners front in terms of their offensive line. I mean, the Niners have the best, probably the what, best left tackle in the league, Trent Williams? Yes. Best in the league. So the question is, if you're the Chiefs, like, what if you just, if you're the Chiefs, what if you just throw, like, Malik Herring or somebody against Trent Williams every play and say, you know what, we're not going to win that side, we're just going to rush, we're, we're just going to rush George and Chris from the right side and try to win that way, right? What if you do that? I mean, yeah, the path that for, for, for Karloftis is simply San Francisco focuses too much on Chris Jones and then George comes in and makes some big plays, and, you know, because, I mean, listen. Nick Bolton was a penalty away from possibly being the Super Bowl MVP last year, right? Not a penalty. It was just a, a review. Oh, right, right, right. Review. Just review on that fumble. Incomplete. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. You're right, you're right. But yeah, he. so he was, the, the point being, he was one play away from possibly being the MVP last year, mm-hmm. right? The issue is, when you have Patrick LeVon Mahomes, if he throws for over, if he if Mahomes throws for more than 200 yards and two touchdowns, he's like, he automatically is going to win, probably. <laughs> so that's the issue you run into. Uh, but in terms of dark, other dark, so to answer the question, yeah, I mean, for Koloftis, get get two or three sacks, a couple strip sacks, maybe. You can win it that way. For sure. If it's, if it's a low-scoring defensive game. Yeah, and I think uh, I agree with you. If Rashi Rice or Travis Kelsey uh, has a big game, that means all those stats are going to Mahomes. And maybe Mahomes you wins. could argue that Kelsey has the narrative with the Taylor Swift thing, that if, if Kelsey has the game he had Dude, against the Ravens, right? The 11 Brads, patches for 100, whatever. The Brads and Chads would be so incredibly be, bad. But that gives him a Kelsey, chance. <laughs> Kelsey won sure. the MVP. Um, maybe Pacheco could win it because the yeah. 49ers have not been like a great run defense. No, they've been pretty susceptible, actually. They have been. It's just they, they get these big leads, so He's they don't have to usually worry about it. And, and at that point, if Pacheco... 
Pacheco's running for a bunch of yards, that's not going to Mahomes. Then again, Damian Williams had like 100 whatever yards and two touchdowns and didn't and win it didn't. a couple years ago, right? <laughs> I think you look to the defensive side. If the Chiefs win a game where it's about the defense again, let's say it's 20 to 17, or 17 boring. to 14, yeah. and you do get a defensive touchdown, because it was one thing for Nick Bolton to have a defensive touchdown in a game that was 35 31 or 38 35. Yeah. It's another thing if it's 17 to 14, where there's only yeah. four touchdowns. I agree with that. Play, right? So maybe you pick someone like a, a defensive back. Trent McDuffie, oddly, doesn't really get interceptions. No, He's been he a great cover corner, doesn't get him. No. So maybe Legereus Well, I mean, the, the Chiefs secondary as a whole doesn't really get a ton of interceptions. Sure, but I think Sneed, you could see it maybe. Um, especially, like, he could also come around and get a strip sack. They use him in so many different ways. I like the idea. Chris Jones playing for more money. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to make $30 million in the offseason, if you're Chris Jones, go win Super Bowl defensive MVP. You that'd know what be I mean? wild. Yeah, that'd be wild. Yeah, but, but, so the pass is there for, for, for Koloftis. I mean, yeah. you know, just, just activate a little Furious George and, uh, you know, go crazy. So, yes. yeah, in terms of other candidates, I, I like Chris Jones uh, because, again, he could just blow up the game and, and be great. Uh, I, I don't know. It'd be, I just, I think it'd be tough for a corner, whether it's Snead or, or McDuffie, to win it because they'd have to probably get like a bunch of tackles and, and have like a pick six or, a, or multiple mm-hmm. interceptions, which seems unlikely. Although, Brock Turdy did throw four interceptions against uh, against the Ravens, Ravens yeah. back in the regular season, so it's possible. Uh, so and then and then again, you look at Nick Bolton, and he probably ha- again. I mean, the bar's been set for him. He'd have to have a game similar to last year, yeah. and they probably have to be a lower scoring game. But uh, again, the, to circle back to the main crux of the issue here, you have Patrick Mahomes, and <laughs> he's probably going to win it regardless. This one from. Uh, Brady, should Bill Self be criticized more for not giving a longer leash to the bench? Oh, boy. I mean, I feel like he's, in some ways, he's kind of given the bench a leash, a longer leash, right? I mean, I, I've seen some people who are like, well, you just got to let them play through mistakes and you're not doing that right now, and the bench would be more developed, they would be in a better yeah, shot. But right I don't now know if that that's true because Here, yeah. you just play them more and if they continue to struggle, all you're, all you're actually doing by playing them more in that situation is you're just you're further hurting, hurting their their individual confidence, too, yeah. first of all. And, yeah, you're hurting yourself, right? Because yeah. maybe, you, maybe it ends up you don't even win some of the games you have won. I don't buy it because here's the thing. Okay, I, I'm going to make an analogy here. Uh, let's say you are getting some work done on your home and you have a contractor come in to work on your house. And the contractor comes in after the second day and he says, hey, I was working on your roof and I knocked off the gutter. I'll get it fixed, but apologies, I knocked it off. You'd be like, okay, well, that's not great, but whatever, get it fixed, keep working. (laughs) Two days later, contractor comes in and he's like, hey, I just uh, accidentally drilled a hole in the wrong wall. (laughs) Okay, we'll get it fixed, keep going. Two days later, you come back. Oh, sorry, I accidentally, you know, uh, broke this floorboard or something like that. Eventually... You're going to be like, okay, I I don't necessarily know that I want you doing more work on my house, right? <laughs> sure. If the bench players keep coming in, even if it's limited sample sizes, you're not, and they mess up, you're not going to be like, hey, please do more. You're not going to go to the contractor, even though it's only been a week and he's messed up three times and be like, you know, if I give him three more weeks, I'm sure he'll figure it out. Uh, please just keep going. You're yeah. not going to do that. Well, you have to earn that. And so, especially no. with a guy like El Marco, kind of what I was saying originally is, with a guy like El Marco, a freshman, if you play him more and he just keeps struggling, all you're doing is actually hurting him, right? I mean, you could be sending him even more into kind of a mental... Same thing with Timberlake, mm-hmm. right? If Timberlake 
if you play him more and instead of going 0 for 1 or 0 for 2 from 3 before you take him out, he goes 0 for 5 for 3, well, now you've, now you've really screwed. Now you're really screwed, right? And, and on top of that, I think Bill Self, it's pretty clear that Bill Self is a guy where, is a type of coach where you have to prove it in practice, right? Mm-hmm. If they aren't to be able to, if they're able to do that in practice, clearly that means that Bill Self does not have the confidence in them to be able to do it long term in a game. So it's it's tough. And, and Timberlake, remember right? Timberlake has actually spoken specifically about that issue of saying, "I go into every practice as if it's a game, as if it's you know." And that's how we should approach it. But it seems whatever. You know, obviously, we're not we're not in practices, but it seems as though it's not being shown fully in that arena. To then it can be translated into the actual games. Sure. Next question is from Caden. What has been each of your favorite moments or memories from working on the show together, and why? Mm, man, I you know I I go back to the the uh, Mario Kart football draft we did. That was pretty good. That was a lot of fun. Uh, all of our segments where it's where it's been games of you asking me to pick stuff. I mean, we need to do a couple of those probably tomorrow sure. or Friday. We'll try to get one uh, on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, those have been great. Um, the conversations about HB Dive, always fun. That's that's good. Uh, I'll never forget when we t- when we were talking about McCaffrey. You were you were on you were saying, oh well, McCaffrey needs time to get in, dude. No, he doesn't. You're a running back, okay? You have one job: get the ball and run. You call a run play, you hand it off. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever. What, I mean, what are we what, what are we talking about here? You're a running back. Yeah, I, it's funny because the summer shows are, are the hardest on us because we really get stressed for yeah, what we're going to talk about, content. trying to come up with content. But at the end of the day, in a lot of ways, do, those segments end up being they're the most rewarding. Yeah, the most fun in, in some way and most fun because you're you're able to just kind of have fun with it. That certainly comes to mind. Yeah. Um, I think going out, I, I love doing the show every year where, and, and this last year was no different, where we get to go out for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's always a lot of fun and, and kind of go out there and Great do event. stuff. Uh, going out to, to some of the the, the tailgates at, at Big Mill before those yeah. were always shout a, out to all the people time. that honked at us. Yes, we're out there and uh, watching you read Lance Leipold as you would. Come oh yeah, but yeah, the bus analysis. That's fun. Bus yeah, analysis. I, I mean, I, honestly, I've I've really enjoyed watching you in your career kind of grow here, and yeah, I don't know, just just see the abilities of of everything you've brought to the table, and it's been a lot of fun getting to know you and for sure and having you as a coworker, and I've really enjoyed the time. And it's been great because you know. You obviously have a, a vast wealth of KU knowledge, having done the show for a long time, and uh, in a lot of ways that can be intimidating. You know, <laughs> but uh, you're not an intimidating person. You're very welcoming, very open, and and all of our conversations have always been really fun. And and uh, that's honestly that's what I just miss most is just the just the back and forth. Yeah, because I think we for sure we developed. Something I mean, the really off-air conversations themselves they're, they're always <laughs> such a good time. Yeah, uh, okay. some of them probably need to stay off-air. Yes, we got to go quick on this one from Aaron. Uh, he says, Derek, rank your co-hosts. Wow. Okay. Um, let's go with, I'll go number one will be Nick. Mm. Wait, wait, wait a second. And that's all I'll say on that. <laughs> uh, the next one is give your top five guests. I, honestly, I, this really is all of them. I, I am honestly so thankful to the guests that yeah. they don't have to do this. They, they spend their time coming on the show with us and yeah. it is a very thankless thing that they do. And, and I, I even very like, am you know, we've had past, past KU players right. that have all been great, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's one that really tough to get. pick even, even 10 mm-hmm. great of our great guests. Uh, best and worst memories with RCST. Best, I would just say, I've been very fortunate. I've got to be here for Chief Super Bowls, covering a KU national title run in 2022, getting to cover the KU football come up. Uh, I yeah. didn't know if that would ever happen when I was on the job. Honestly, trivia in general, that's been so much fun. 
Uh, the worst stuff is anytime there's like the legal stuff. So whether it's with the NCAA stuff, the Ontario Morris stuff, that was probably bottom for me, the Ontario Morris stuff. Yeah. And then uh, technical issues at the station. We have so many technical problems here <laughs> at the station. That would probably be up there. I mean, we got, we got 18 bajillion gadgets, <laughs> and it seems like every other day one of them is somehow not working Seriously. properly. And then favorite trivia moment. It's funny because we've done so many matchups that – you more so remember the storylines or yeah. the stories than the individual matchups. Yeah, the right? individual matchups are they're kind of just a blur. You right. Just remember what happens. So I mean, I will say, Aaron, here's the one who asked the question. You squeaking in the playoffs on, on football last year. That was kind of a wild like tracking the week. That was fun. Skinner not missing a single question is last two is matchups. My favorite, bro. Plus the end of the one before. That was fun. Dude, I'll be telling my grandkids about Skinner. Yeah. Year before Ryan and Brad uh in the four overtime football matchup, where it's just like, is this gonna go on forever? That was certainly a memorable moment. From the basketball ones, uh year one, learning who Isaac Henderson was. Uh, the year last year, Doug Crumpton Murray becoming a household name and becoming like, I don't know, I, I almost like, we email back and forth now. Like, I don't know, he's just <laughs> he's kind of a friend at this point. Um, seeing guys break through like Kyle Martin did last year. I think that was a yeah. ton of fun. And then for a matchup for basketball, the one I will always remember is the Tyler Feist-Isaac Henderson matchup. I don't even remember if it was a, a Final Four in Elite Eight or, sorry, Phenomenal Four or uh, Grade Eight. Um, wait, wait, the NCAA is on the phone. I know. Trademark. Whatever, I'm leaving here soon. No, uh, that one, it, it legitimately, our Zoom time ran out. We had to create a new Zoom. We had to get more questions because we we ran out of questions. And we had to come back. It was like a 30, 35-minute recording. It was like 20 questions. It, it was incredible. What a matchup. And you had two champions going at it. So that, that one certainly comes to mind. All right, thank you for the questions. Submit some for Nick next week. Make life on him hard. He likes the uh, either-or question kind of stuff. <laughs> Oh, yeah, those are my favorite. At RCST 1320. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Some Chiefs audio next on KLWN. Depend on. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and I'm joined now by a special guest with the start of the KU baseball season coming up next week. Dan Fitzgerald joins us on the show here. This is year two for you. What are some of the biggest differences? What are some of the areas that maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable year two than you did maybe in year one? Derek, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think I think there's a familiarity with inside the the walls of our program right now with so many returning pieces. Where I think that the big difference is just the the cultural foundation is is just it's set, and obviously it's something we need to work on every day and something we need to address. But um, you know, some of those big foundational blocks have been put in place and you know, we're protecting them more than moving them right now, if that makes sense. You know, a year ago right now, we were we were really still trying to establish who we were and, and what we were going to be about. And I think we, we found out those things, you know, through a through in many ways an awesome season, in many ways a frustrating season, in many ways a, a, you know, really tough season. But I think in the long run, it set us up to be in a spot now where we're feeling good about some of those big, big blocks. Well, uh, do, do you have a favorite moment from, from year one? I, I know you mentioned, obviously, there's some ups and downs along the way, but uh, I, I'm curious, did, did you have a favorite moment or, or a moment where you felt like, yes, this is this is kind of what we're trying to accomplish here? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We had a bunch of those throughout the year. I think, you know, early on there was a couple series victories, you know, right off the bat that, that you know, where we competed and, and, you know, won some tough Sunday games to win a series. And then, you know, we, we – I thought one of the keys to the whole thing was, you know, we get pounded at TCU and we come back and sweep Baylor and then go to West Virginia, a really tough place to play and a really good ball ball club and took two or three. And then, 
you know, I, I think the highlight for me, one another highlight for me was five and three on Friday nights. And we really gave two of those away with, with uh, a couple things that happened late. So, uh, and then, you know, knocking out Texas in the big 12 tournament. So I think we showed that when we had bomb on the mound, uh, which, you know, we should, at the big 12, we should have multiple of him on the mound starting, which I feel like we do this year, but with, with a legit guy starting the game, we were in everything. And, and, uh, so I think so many highlights, but I think, uh, those are a couple. And then I think the, the, the really big one is just knowing at the end that we were still together. That it was a group that they really loved each other and, and had, had established something that's going to be around for a long time. I, you, you told a, a funny story at the press conference a, a week ago or, or two weeks ago, whenever that was uh, about your wife, when you guys lost a game and, and you were in a bad mood and, and she was like, what did you think you, you were never going to lose a game? And I'm always curious from, that perspective, how important, because you always hear about coaches' wives being so important in the whole process and being willing to sacrifice time and, and all these different things from a family level. How important is is your wife and your family and, and what you get to do here with KU Baseball? Oh, it's it's the whole thing, Derek. You know, I, I have, uh, I think, one of the first indicators um, maybe early on in my career that I actually might be a good recruiter is when I actually – got Kelly to, to marry me. That was, that was my, my most impressive work I think I've ever done. But now she's incredible. And this thing truly is a, a team effort. And uh, she's an incredible friend. She's a great sounding board. She is uh, the most honest human being I've, I've ever met. And she is, her, her priorities are so rightly ordered that um, when I go to her, I, I know that I'm getting, you know, real truth and, and um, you know, she's incredibly supportive and, and also, you know, not afraid to, uh, you know, to say, Hey, this is, you know, when I say things like that, like completely shocked at a loss, you know, she's not afraid to say, well, Dan, it's, it's baseball. There's literally been zero undefeated teams of all time. And, um, and then, you know, family wise, you know, we've got three little boys and uh, not so little anymore, Derek, they're getting big, but uh, this is a family total family deal for us. And that was really a massive piece of making this move was, um, you know, wanting to do something program wise that really reflects what my values and ultimately, you know, Kelly and my values are of, of really having a family environment and you can't do that without having your family around. And so, uh, you know, Will and Ben, I think they argue over who was, uh, the 1A and 1B Big 12 bad boy of the year last year, but they're in, in heavy competition for that in year two. But, yeah, my family, uh, they're everything to me, and Kelly is uh, incredible, and, and I'm, I'm a very blessed guy. Well, you have back-to-back top JUCO recruiting classes coming in, and I, I was thinking more about this. Obviously, you hear the term money ball in, in baseball, specifically with the MLB, and I think some people have associated that with you know one thing is, is another. The whole idea of money ball came about of finding value where – uh, maybe other people weren't going to that value that you could, you know, utilize that a little bit more. And I, I thought it was very interesting you talking about. Um, I guess that nowadays with with the transfer portal and and with some of the stuff happening, JUCO baseball is is one that typically you know you're getting a lot of good players there, but maybe it's being under recruited a little bit more than it was five ten years ago. H- have you guys found that great value there? I guess how important has has the JUCO ranks been and and what it's doing for your team this year? Yeah, great question, Derek. I, I think it's the 
the genesis of your question is probably a big reason, you know, why, why I'm here. Uh, I think because my, uh, throughout my career, you know, I spent so much time as a junior college coach and, uh, it, it's just such an awesome development microwave and, you know, the kids get on campus, they play a bunch of games in the fall and, you know, they play a bunch more in the, in the, in the spring and there's just not all the frills and spotlight and, and, um, stuff that comes with being big time power five baseball. So I think there's a little bit of, you really grind it. And, and I just found it so enjoyable to coach and my players loved it. And I've, I've never you know coached a Juco guy that didn't love his time at Juco. So, you know, I think, uh, Moneyball, actually funny you bring up that book and funny that Bill James is a Laurentian, uh, because that, that book was incredibly instrumental to me early in my career in terms of, you know, I, I, I always want to know why I'm doing something. Uh, and I, I didn't want to recruit based off of just a gut feel. Cause I, as a young recruiter, I'm like, I don't have a gut feel. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I wanted something tangible to be able to say, Hey, this is, this is what makes a good player other than, you know, he looks the part because, you know, that can be incredibly deceiving. So I think we, you know, in the process of, of, taking this job, John and Tyler and Brandon and myself had spent a bunch of time um, kind of talking about what does what does a Jayhawk look like and what, where are we going to find value and knowing that we're going to be coming in, you know, uh, mid-June having missed the 23 and 24 cycles. And, you know, it's not like we were going to have the top portal class in the country in summer one. We certainly put a great one together in summer two, but we, we just knew through our contacts, connections, and the fact that we have all spent, I mean, collectively on our staff, we have decades of junior college experience. So I think there's a natural draw there. And, uh, you know, we, I did it at DBU, uh, did some, you know, the LSU last year. They don't, they don't win a national championship with not a Juco pitcher from, uh, from Oklahoma who, who, you know, won a huge game for them to get them to the championship. And so every stop along the way, myself and then my entire staff has uh, just had success with those guys. So it's been a great fit here. and That's going to evolve too, Derek. I mean, it, it, we may look like that in five years and it may not, but recruiting, um, I think it's exactly what you just said. It's, it's where can you find value at the time and, you know, how are things going to change with the portal and how are things changing with NIL and how are things changing with, you know, Dartmouth players now, you know, the ruling yesterday. I mean, this is an incredibly, incredibly uh, amazing time in, in college athletics in terms of change. You have two preseason All Big 12 guys, Cody Shojinaga and Jansen Reeder. If you could, what is the importance of both of those guys and, and any anecdotes, stories, or just kind of insight on what makes both of them good players? Well, yeah, they're, they're really special and they're. Yeah, they, they, you know, there's no funny story or anecdotal story other than I, you know, I bet you lunch, Derek, that they're in the cage right now. Like those two live in the cage and they're with each other all the time. Um, so naturally they have to kind of hit right next to each other in the lineup too. Uh, but I, I think the beauty of having those two is, is, you know, one's protecting the other. And that was something kind of lineup wise all last year, you know, looking at the construction of the lineup and, and it played out in that Texas game where, you know, show just sitting in front of reader and we've got runners on second and third and, you know, they walk show Janaga to get to reader and reader ends up hitting the grand slam. Well, you know, that's a totally different story. If, 
it's right around third. You know, at that point they can walk shows and reader and, you know, and, and probably get in last year's lineup, get to someone not as, as dangerous as, as we might have this year. So I think they protect each other. I think they push each other. Uh, they are, when you have a conversation with them, they're, they're very different as human beings and yet very, very similar in terms of how, how they work on their craft and how much they care about it and, and, and how seriously they take it. Who are some other returning players besides those two who you feel like have, have taken big steps, have put in that work in the offseason that are ready to see the results this year? Jake English, huge jump, huge fall. Really proud of the work he did. I thought he was the best defensive catcher in the Big 12 last year, and, and I think the offense is, is now ready to, to join that. Uh, Michael Brooks, huge second half for us last year, and, and he picked up right where he let off when he got back this fall. Collier Cranford is is healthy. You know, that kind of tough, tough run for him physically last year, fought through an injury. You know, he was so good the first month or so and then got banged up and kind of scuffled through it. But he's healthy, ready to go. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've, we've got a bunch of guys that are kind of in that, you know, compete for jobs right now. Uh, you know, Chase Jans had a great year for us last year and has had a great spring and, you know, looks like what he normally looks like, just using the middle of the field, great approach at the plate, um, doing a nice job and left. And then, you know, Mike Kazuski's had a, had a nice spring for us, you know, played center last year and we've got a center fielder, uh, John Nett, who, who we got out of the portal, who is, um, you know, certainly those two are, are battling it out, but Mike's going to factor in somewhere and, uh, so yeah, it's it's a lot of pieces, and then I think a lot of a lot of, there are some arms back there too. With Daniel Trumper, of course, I think he was second in the Big Twelve in appearances, um, and then you know Ethan Bradford took a really nice jump over the summer and had a great fall. And uh, Sam Ireland will be thrown out of the pen this year, which which is really what Sam's designed to do. Had to start out of necessity last year, but um, and then you know a couple other arms, Gavin Brzozowski, and and you know experience just counts for so much there's there's nothing that takes place developmentally of, of getting on the mound with runners on and having to face that pressure so these guys are battle tested and they'll be ready to go here in a, what about 10 days yeah and uh, obviously we mentioned the juco class uh you bring in some transfer players that that certainly could have a big impact right away high school recruiting everything coming together uh, what about some of the newcomers who, who are players we should be looking to, to hit the field right away well, it definitely addressed some things on the mound. Our our depth last year was uh, was really thin on the mound, so had to address that. We feel like we we did that with with you know a number of starters. Reese Dutton has been a guy who's been really good. Uh, Grant Adler, Wichita State transfer. Reese Dutton is from USC Upstate, and he was a Heartland Community College guy, and was teammates with Ben Hartle, or one of our catchers from from Heartland. So we feel like a couple starters, a catcher in, in Hartle and Hartle can really do it all. He can play anywhere in the infield, good athlete. And, and, you know, has been our most, one of our most productive guys since stepping foot on campus, Chase Diggins, a shortstop from Odessa junior college is doing an unbelievable job. And then, uh, like I mentioned, John Nett and, uh, from St. Cloud state university, and then Lenny Ashby, a kid that transferred in from the University of New Mexico, he's doing great. And then Cooper Combs, a, a kid from Johnson County, outfielder who's right in the mix. Uh, Ethan Lanthier, uh, another D2 kid out of St. Cloud State. He was an all-star up in the Cape and, you know, is a, a 
Every time he touches the mound, there are about 10 scouts there watching him. So that's a huge, huge arm uh, and a guy that's given us a real shot of adrenaline in, in the bullpen. And then, you know, a couple freshmen that are working their way in there. Ty Wisdom is doing a heck of a job at the plate, left-handed hitter and second baseman, first baseman. And then uh, Dominic Vagley, right-handed pitcher from Columbia, Illinois, uh, one of our freshmen that we committed when we got here guy that coach Scott found, you know, he's going to factor into our rotation. So, you know, if we started today, he'd be pitching on Saturdays and, and uh, is, you know, is, is a guy that we anticipate being a, a top of the line starter for us for the next three years. The first three games of the season are against Illinois, Chicago, then a day off, and then you're taking on Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which is where you're going to be playing those first four games. Just from a scouting report perspective kind of thing in, in the first week of the season, how, how much of those first four games is or, or does involve scouting the opponent ahead of time versus just kind of doing your own thing and, and figuring out what you got? Well, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's a ton of scouting. It's, you know, it's hard because the, the young guys have nothing on video. So you're, you know, you're, you're watching high school video and, you know, it doesn't really give you a great look, but there's enough out there with the transfers and, and then their returners where you, you can get a good feel. I think for me, a big chunk of it is just getting a feel for their style of play. And, uh, you know, Coach Scott does an amazing job of really getting a game plan together on their hitters. And Coach Hancock does a great job of getting a game plan together on their pitchers. And then, you know, I try to uh, take the 30,000 foot view of how do they play? You know, are they playing for one early or one late or, you know, do they, play for a big inning till the fifth and then do they you know kind of go for one or whatever um and then honestly man i spend 23 of the 24 hours of the day just trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to play and i think early on it's so much about just establishing fundamental baseball and you know you look at a you know conference championship or a regional or a super or any of those things it, it it's never the or i shouldn't say never it's rarely the you know, walk off grand slam. It's usually, you know, in the second inning, someone, you know, there's a leadoff double and someone gave their bat up and gave a nice ground ball to the right side. And then a pitch later scored a run and ends up being that run that pushes you over the top. So it's usually the boring, awesome, fundamental, you know, make your free throw type analogy um, that, that wins. And so we spent so much time on that right now. And that's kind of where the majority of our focus has been. And overall, beyond that, what are your overall thoughts on the schedule and, and obviously the, the changes to the Big 12 with some of the teams coming in and, and everything that's going to provide with the slate for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. I think we've added some awesome teams, uh, you know, and, and I can't speak for all sports, but in terms of baseball, uh, you know, Cincinnati's a great baseball city. Uh, UCF has had a ton of success in baseball over the years. Um, Houston's certainly a, a a school that has a rich baseball tradition. So, you know, our schedule, it, it's, it's odd in that we go TCU and then Cincinnati, UCF, BYU. So we, we open with the traditional big 12 team and then it's, it's three in a row of newcomers. And then, you know, right back into, uh, you know, a slate of the, of the guys that have been around a while. So um, we're tested early. UIC is a really good ball club. They'll, they'll be at the, they'll be in the mix to win the uh, Missouri Valley this year. And then, you know, the, the Round Rock Classic is always tough in Texas State, Washington State, Kentucky. Those are those are three super formidable opponents. And then, you know, we get we get to come home and, and play at home a little bit earlier than we did last year. I think last year we were on the road for 
gosh, six straight weeks, seven. I mean, we were on the road forever. So to be able to come back here weekend three uh, is incredible. And uh, but yeah, I like the schedule. It's tough, uh, but that's, you know, it's always tough in the Big 12. There's no there's no way to sort this thing out where you have an easy ride, that's for sure. He is Dan Fitzgerald, head coach, manager for the KU baseball team. Dan, I appreciate the time. Good luck this season and safe travels next week. Thanks, Derek. See you, bud. All right, that was Dan Fitzgerald joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Should be a really fun KU baseball season. I know uh, some of the guys at D1Baseball.com, which is uh, probably one of the best uh, coverage outlets for NCAA baseball. I don't know. It might be the best. Uh, they, they're very bullish and, and high on this KU team. I, I know one of their guys was was picking this KU team to uh, make it to the NCAA tournament, which I think would be a, a huge success in year two for the Fitzgerald era and uh, certainly going to be a ton of fun, and, and we'll be airing some of the games here throughout the year on KLWN. All right, with Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. We got our KUK State Heroes and Villains segment coming up on the other side. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And yes, hello. I was just saying, hey. <laughs> well, hello it's to a. you too. Hey, Ken. You, you know, it's going to be your show here in a few days. True. And then I won't be able to say hey to anybody. I know. It'll just be hey just yourself. Screaming into the void, right? Yeah, no, that's like, yeah, I don't, I mean, listen, I can yap like <laughs> anybody. And I guess now I'm a professional yapper, but I'm just on my own, I guess. I don't know. That's right. Well, uh, we're going to get to some Bill Self audio coming up later this hour. And later tonight, we'll have the ultimate amount of Bill Self audio because he'll be speaking on a microphone for an hour with Brian Haney on Hawk Talk right here on KLWN and 105.9 Kiss after the show. Boom. Nice. Have you have you approached Bill Self? Maybe he'll be uh, your new co-host. Mm, that's a good point. I should ask him. I mean, he, yeah. he does an hour already. What's another three? Uh, no, what I, else does he have going on? 100% agree. They you can know, just move the practice. He's clearly not busy right, I mean, at practice all. Practice is, is what, two hours? Yeah, <laughs> Whatever. We'll just do yeah. that after the show or oh, before the show. Agree. You know? Yeah. No. Have Maybe come take on. some of your ideas and use that in practice. Oh, that's a good point. Well, no. What I what I really should do is I should bring Lance Leipold on and just ask him why he doesn't run HP dive every play. Okay. There we go. Perfect. Perfect. I feel like if you did that, he would not understand that you were joking and would be like, "What? What's wrong with you?" Well, what's I mean, I'm not totally guy? joking. I mean, literally, just run HP dive. <laughs> okay. it's, it's a great. I mean, you have Devin Neal. It's a great play. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not great. What's that? Kansas Kansas State game on Monday night. Oh yeah, that sucked. Kansas yeah. lost seventy five seventy in overtime. Let's get to our KUK State heroes and villains between the Jayhawks and the Wildcats. Let's start with the offense. Who tried to be a hero for KU? What were the heroes? Who were the heroes of the game for the Jayhawks? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to point out Dewan Harris. Yeah. yeah, on the offense, uh, Dewan Harris fifteen points in the game. Uh, Henry Henry Greenstein said we should retire the stat of him scoring double figures, which I don't know. Maybe it's it is kind of funny though because like, what if it gets to a point where it's like. You know, you could just take that out and be like, well, when Hunter Dickinson scores double figures, KU is 18 and 5. Sure. Because he scores double figures every game. So there's like, there's no, <laughs> there's no real correlation there, uh, which would be kind of funny. But yeah, Dewan Harris, 15 points. I thought he did a good job. I thought he was in, really in control of the offense. Uh, I think he had like, what, like one kind of boneheaded turnover late. But other than that, he was, he was pretty good. Uh, did hit a three pointer as well in the game. And, as we've kind of we've kind of you know beat around the bush on the idea of well, you know Johnny Furphy's probably not a guy that KU can just rely on to be money from three all the time. Obviously in this game against Kansas City goes all four, and I think the message needs to be if that's the case. It need, again it needs to go back to Dwan of hey, dude, shoot the ball from three. Don't pass to Parker Brown. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know that was on Saturday against Houston, but I'm still mad about that. So I think that that needs to be a message. I think that needs to be a message is hey, you know listen. 
having Johnny Furphy is great. We've talked about the numbers, you know, with Johnny Furphy in the starting lineup. KU's been a top five offense, but at the same time, that sh- that a couple things. Number one, it should actually open up Dewan even more to shoot if the defenses are now starting to pay more attention to Johnny Furphy to try to shut him down. And I think Dewan still needs still needs to do that more. So, uh, yeah, more and more and more from Dewan shoot the ball. But this was a, a really good offensive performance from him. Uh, like we talked about, probably his best performance really overall since the Kentucky game, maybe. And he's probably not going to top the Kentucky game really all season, right? I mean, that's that's part of the way the best performance he'll, he'll probably have all season. But this was definitely, I think, the best in Big 12 play that he's had, uh, especially on the offensive end. Yeah, I think uh, I, I thought he was, and, and I said this the other day, I thought he was KU's best player on the court for a majority of the game, if, if not the entirety of the game. I, th- I thought he was really good for KU. I mean, the 15 points, even after he missed his first like two or three shots of the game, good assist numbers good lack of turnover numbers. Uh, he was even, I thought, impactful on the defensive end. I know this is about offensive hero, but I, I just thought overall yeah, dude. he had a really good We game. have a whole category called defensive hero. Know, Why don't you just wait for that? But yeah, no, I, I thought in a game where KU's offense was very sluggish and quite honestly had one of their worst offensive games of the season, he was good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and so I, th- I think that is worth mentioning. Um, the only thing you run into here is, and this is the one difference between what KU has now is that how much does it matter being able to go on the road and having a point guard that can go get his own shot late in games? Devon Dotson, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, matter right? quite a bit. Collins. Yeah. Um, is Dewan is that, that, is this that guy? Right. And that's the thing. Is that as good as he was, is that just a, a flaw in a roster, theoretically? Like, do you need another combo guard to play next to Dewan in the same way that you could have brought Remy Martin off the bench. You know well, what I mean? mean? And, and gotten that if you needed it, which you, know, you did. You needed exactly. it in the last five minutes of the, the well, national championship, listen, right? Back in August, you did have that other card. Yeah. It's just that, you know, not on the team anymore. So yeah. so uh, that's a good one. But yeah, Hunter, I mean, the fact that Hunter still ended up with over 20 points in a game where, like, yeah. it wasn't his prettiest game and he had how many shots, two, three, four shots that felt like they were halfway down and they just popped out, I yeah. think shows how impressive he can be on the offensive side of the ball. Honestly, like, if KJ Adams wouldn't have fouled out, he or, or been in foul trouble all game, I, I think that's the bigger point here. He might have ended up on here. I, I don't think you can, given what it currently well, ended up as. Yeah. Well, and the other issue with KJ Adams is, man, he missed a couple easy layups. He did easy. I mean, e- like bunnies. Yeah. Gimmies. No, that's fair. So, so that was everyone the issue. on KU. Well, yeah. I mean, the the live stats credited KU. Did you see this? What they went on layups? Uh, what, they what, KU what, what was it? Would you like to get, take a guess how many they missed? Oh gosh. Probably like 10. 14. Oh. They were 14 of 28 on layups. That's horrible. 50%. Dude, just run layup lines for two hours straight the next practice. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. would not be hero attic. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there is the, the missed ones. But still, 13 points, you know, four assists. If he wouldn't have been in foul trouble, maybe he ends up with 17 points and five assists. I don't know. Yeah, I had a parlay, though, with him to get four rebounds. And I Oof. thought that was. Yeah, the rebound is just completely dropped off. I know. I, I thought I, I, thought I was home free on that parlay. And then. <laughs> Turns out not so fast. All right, defensive heroes for KU. Yeah, this one's a bit tougher. I mean, you look at the stat sheet. Kevin ended up with four steals, uh, and so did uh, KJ Adams. I, I I do want to throw this out though for defensive heroes. KU's pressed late. It did its job right sure. late in the game. They they pressed Kansas State and forced a turnover to, to help kind of get them back in the game. And uh, it makes me wonder if they shouldn't have tried pressing a lot sooner. Now, of course, the issue with running a press like that is is that is just even more that's like the most physically demanding thing right. you can ask your team to do is to run a full court press and obviously you'd already you're already in overtime you have you know three of your five starters played over 40 minutes 
So I maybe maybe that wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have been that effective if they had tried to do it. But when they when they did do it, it was effective and got them a turnover. So uh, shout out to the press. Shout out to the press. Yeah, and I, I think that's something you at least keep in your back pocket for down the stretch here. I mean, I saw. Um, I was actually a bit surprised by this, but they released the uh, like defensive player of the year finalists or whatever, like fifteen players on there or whatever it was. Kevin and Dewan were both on there. I think that's a bit of a reputation thing because honestly, I don't think either one's been a top fifteen defender in college basketball this year. Yeah, I mean, like I Kevin's don't... been better than Dewan. Yeah, Recently, Dewan has been playing well. I will yeah. say that. Recently, he has looked like that guy, but over the the overhaul of the entire season, you know, that has no. I agree. Totally been. It the does case. seem like Dewan has kind of figured things out. But yeah. point being, when you're playing a press and those guys are engaged and you have you know that ability from players to strip the ball away, I think I think it is something that you're right. You're you're never going to be able to do it for long stretches of time because of the lack of depth this team has. Yeah. But like when you really need it, it is good to know that you should be pretty good at it. Yeah, I, I thought I don't know, it's it's tough because Dewan a lot of the time was drawing the assignment on Tyler Perry. It wasn't always him. KU switches so much. I mean, there were times where Furphy or whoever else was was guarding him. Yeah. But it's hard for me to be like Dewan is defensive hero when Tyler Perry, the other point guard at twenty six. <laughs> Again, not all of it was him. And he did have a couple great plays where he knocked it out of bounds off someone. So I yeah. think that does matter. Yeah. Um I mean, KU didn't really give up much on the inside. So, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was kind of game. an ugly game. Yeah. All right, what's it, what is the uh, other hero? Man, other heroes, there's not really much to go for here. Uh, it's, it is, I mean, it's all not all negative, all positive, really. I felt like all heroes all, are all villains. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Your, your assist ratio continued to be really high, right? 21 assists on 28 million on 28 made field goals like that's cool and it's and that's it's obvious that that's the way KU is going to win games is by facilitating and passing the ball because they just don't have really any guys that can create on their own uh which I think if they and it's they've it's obvious they've leaned in leaned into that in practice and whatnot and it's worked out very well for them uh the, the problem is is that when teams are Putting on a ball pressure on Kansas or, or Kansas is not able to find the open passing lanes and make the pa- the right passing plays. They don't really have anything to fall back on. Like you can dump it now to Hunter as much as you want, but once teams start to try to take that away, you run into this issue of well, okay, who who can create? And you don't really have that. So I don't know. I guess it's another hero. You got some good assists on some on on your made field goals, uh, but I don't I don't know. Not not a whole lot really to, t- to take away. Otherwise, positively. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I guess multiple ways we can go with this. Uh, Jerome Tang, does he get another hero for turning Kansas State into a team that no longer storms the court against Kansas? Yeah. Then again, is that actually worse? Is that, no, is I, that in yeah. a way, make it worse for KU fans? That I did see some It has dis- gotten to a point where yeah. K-State doesn't even, like, it no, no longer. I, I did you know. see some discourse about that where it was kind of like, well, this sucks. Expect this, it now. Yeah, this sucks that they didn't that they didn't storm because now it's like, Oh, you know they're 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 building some respect. They're building, you know, wh- whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna give Jerome Tang any sort of hero ness of any kind. Uh, so def definitely not. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe does does Bill Self get an get a an other hero for throwing out his uh his walk ons to protect his starters for if, in case they did storm? <laughs> I don't know. You know, because that—that's kind of what it yeah. seemed like. What—that's that, kind of what it seemed like they were doing there. It seemed like it was, uh, hey, Bill, or hey, you know, Jankovic and the walk-ons. You know, take a timeout. I'm going to tell you guys what to do in case they storm, and then you know, get your butts off the court. 
if they do storm. Yeah. But they ended up not storming, so no, I don't know. They did not. Who are the villains of the game? Oh, lots of good villains lots to of choose them. from. Uh, Tyler Perry's got to be the biggest villain. Big-time villain. Uh, the guy goes off in the second half, 26 points, hits some great threes, had a couple of acrobatic layups as well. Came in shooting uh, 34% from the floor. He shot 47%. Yeah. Came in 32% from three, shot 40%. Yeah, and, and you know, he, the Tyler Perry, to a much, much, much lesser degree, it had some, has some similarities to Nick Timberlake, though. Like, he's he's been a good shooter previously. Uh, and he just and he just it hasn't maybe fully clicked form right away, but it comes together for him obviously in this game. So he's the number one villain. Uh, overtime is a big time villain, I think, in this game for a variety of reasons. Number one, Jerome Tang has never lost in overtime at mm-hmm. K State, which is just ridiculous. So that automatically makes it a villain. Number two, it's a villain. Overtime is a villain because you have a lack of bench bench depth, and you got to have your starters go out there even more. So that's a disaster. So overtime was uh, was a big villain in this one. I think that's good. What about Day-Day Ames? I know it's only six points, but came in shooting 29% from the floor, 23 from yeah. three. He hits a three, scores two point, or six points. He goes two for four. I mean, that's that's a bench villain at the very least. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, the wheel on the state signs, I, I hate those. I really hate those. You don't, you don't own anything. The on the state. No, you don't own anything. Okay. It's, 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 it's dumb. I don't know who thought that was a, a good idea, but it's dumb. Historically, <laughs> you don't own anything. Yeah, okay. You you've you've won in football quite a bit, but it's still I think I think the all, the all-time record still favors Kansas actually. So, that sucks for you. You don't own anything. Please stop having those signs. Does the KU bench <laughs> Are they a villain? Self-sabotage? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, Nick Timberlake didn't really do anything too bad. Parker Brown didn't do anything too bad. What El Marco had you have a bad turnover at one point? Uh, no, he didn't have any turnovers. But okay. I mean, combined, you're talking about Parker, Timberlake, Jackson. That's 21 minutes played, two points. Did have six that's rebounds. Kind of what they've been doing all along. So I can't really call that a villain, a villain game. But like the fact that it's continuing, that that's you realize if there was a player on KU who was playing 20 minutes a night, averaging two points per game. You know how like how cooked that guy would be. <laughs> well, that's kind of what Almarco was doing before he got pulled from the starting starting job for for Johnny Furphy. I know. Uh, and then I, I, I don't know. I kind of wanted to throw the officials out there a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know we don't like to t- drag on the officials, but man, there was a two-minute stretch where it was just an avalanche of just really terrible calls. And uh, then you know, then you have the whole Kelvin Sampson thing from last night where he kind of goes off. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, like nobody, you know, like I said, we, I know you and I, we don't like to gripe about the officiating, but if it's bad, and it's pretty clear that the Big Twelve is like fine with whatever happens. Like, if you're a coach, I get it. Like, I get it for Kelvin Sampson. Like, hey, listen, the officiating is bad and hasn't been good all season long, and it, the Big 12 is, seems pretty content to just sit back and, and not care at all. If you want to try to make change or force change, it, you're going to have to do it aggressively, I, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. Uh, because there was a couple really rough calls for Kansas. There was the trap play with Hunter Dickinson. There was uh, the out-of-bounds play where Cam Carter's in transition, and he literally just loses the ball in, like, the 10th <laughs> row. And it didn't even come within two feet of Dewan Harris's hand, and it's off of Kansas. So it was just that was just a really rough stretch. Yep, 
No, I think those are all uh, good to point out. All right, we're going to take a timeout. Bill Self Audio coming up next. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter rcst1320am at gmail.com. That's rcst1320am at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, klwn klwn.com and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.